good morning. We want to welcome those of you who are watching online. We have guests in their living rooms and kitchens and family rooms. Fabia, would you give them a welcome? We're so happy that you're able to join us and join us live and uh, to be here. I invite you to have a seat. You're probably already seated uh, in your living room. But this is a great day. This is uh, our first time live streaming. People get to be able to experience what we be able to experience here in the room and what God is doing in our midst. This is a very special day. We have four people who are going to be baptized. We had four people in our previous service. So it is a party and it's a celebration. Just a reminder that we preview the service live. It's live at 11 o'clock every week. And then we have a Tuesday night experience at 7 where we rebroadcast uh, kind of live. And then from then on, the service is on demand. But uh, we invite you to share. Please share what God is doing. We just believe that God's at work changing lives and we want others to be able to experience that so we're celebrating today. One of the things, though, when people think about God, it's not happy. If you were to ask people, how would you describe God? Probably people would say, what, oh, he's stern, he's mean, he's sour, uh, perhaps that he's very serious. Joy doesn't often come to mind. Happy doesn't often come to mind when we think about God. But one of the things we see in the scripture again and again and again, that God is a God of joy. He's a God of extreme joy. That's one of the names that's given to him, that he wants to share his joy with us. And if there's anything we want people today, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in the room, is to finish today going, God wants me to experience his joy. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have joy and your joy may be full that it may be complete. And what we see is that joy is not the change in our circumstances. Joy is really in the presence of God. And that's what we're going to see as we continue just briefly our look at the book of Esther. We've been in this uh, book for several weeks now. It really is a story in some ways about the competition between two men. It's the story of Mordecai and Haman, both who were high officials in 480 BC in the Persian Empire, and they have a bit of a power struggle. Haman is the grand vizier. He seems to have power over everybody, and that power gets to his head. I'm sure you've never worked with someone like that or experienced someone like that, and he wants everyone to do what he says. In fact, he wrote a law, because he could, that said, well, I want everyone to bow down. And I want everyone to kind of bow down when they see me and honor me and worship me. And Mordecai refused to do that. And maybe you've come across that. There's someone you've had to work with or know, and they want you to do everything that they want. And you just like, you can't do it. And partly because he says, I know that I'm just to worship God alone. He refuses to worship Haman. Haman then gets so upset. He says, I want Mordecai dead in fact, because he's a Jew, I want all Jewish people annihilated. On a particular day of the year, everyone could go in, uh, loot all the Jewish people, kill them all. He wanted to annihilate a whole race. And there was a Persian law, an edict that went out that couldn't be changed. The Jewish people could be killed on a certain day. But Mordecai knows that through a series of events and the fingerprints of God, that God has put his cousin Esther in the palace as queen. 
And he goes to Esther and he says, hey, Esther, you can help our people. And she said, no, 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 no. I can't do that. It's too dangerous for me. And Mordecai says, God's put you there. You're in this place. It's the right thing to do. And finally, Esther says, okay, get people to pray for me. She fasts and prays. She gets people on their knees. And the people of Israel, they're mourning, they're fasting, they're weeping, they're covered in sackcloth and ashes because this is a serious situation. And as we've seen through the last few weeks, through a series of events, God working behind the scenes, it's the unique thing of the book of Esther, God is never mentioned, yet he's very present. And then all of a sudden, the king understands the plot. He sees Haman for who he is. He understands that Mordecai is not out to get anybody. And a reversal happens. All of a sudden, Haman is executed and Mordecai is elevated. And we saw last week that God is a God of great reversals, that he changes the course of our life and destiny. He changes the course of our fortune. He changes the course of our future. And at the end of chapter 8, we see that he changes the course of our emotions, that he turns the weeping, sorrowful people of Israel into joy-filled people. And that's what we want to look at just briefly today. Esther chapter 8, beginning at verse 14. You can follow along on the screen. It says, Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king. The Jewish people were spared. There was an edict they could defend themselves. Everything was kind of being righted. He went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown, a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted, and they rejoiced. And the Jews had light and gladness and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and the edict reached, there was gladness and joy amongst the Jews. There was a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for the fear of the Lord had fallen upon them. And here we see that Mordecai, like he's got a complete reversal of his fortune. He was supposed to be executed and killed. Now he's walking out in royal robes. He's got a crown on his head. He has authority. He's not a victim. He's a victor. And God has given them that. It's nothing that he did. It's completely what God has done. The Jewish people have been spared. And notice that they go from fasting and sorrow and mourning to joy and gladness. In fact, there are about 10 different words in two verses that just speak of the emotional reversal that the Jewish people had. Just that they shouted. This was like shouts of joy. This is excitement. This is like whoops when a team scores in a football game or a ball game or a hockey game. It says that they rejoiced. There was this singing that they had joy, that they had lightness, that there was like a lightness in their soul and their spirit, that they suddenly felt honor. They weren't like disregarded anymore. They weren't just the poor Jewish exiles in Persia, but that they had light and joy and gladness and honor. And then it says, all the people, notice in that one verse, that the people, all the Jewish people throughout the empire had joy and gladness. There was feasting. It was like a holiday. And we'll see next week that they continued to worship, to have a a celebration, a feast, a holiday every day to remember what God has done. And what we see here is the circumstances of Jewish people didn't change. They were still political prisoners in Persia. They were exiles. But that joy is found in the presence of God. God was with them. 
And friends, our circumstances may not change, but joy is found in God. And what they experienced was the reversal of this curse in their life. And we've seen that Esther, in many ways, is a picture of what God does for us. That you and I, like the Jewish people, are, were under a death sentence. That because of our sin, our selfishness, our, our, our own desires, because we disregard God, the Bible says we're, we're under a death sentence. That the wages of sin, it's like death that's separated. We wonder, where is God? It's our sinfulness doing that. But that in Jesus, God rewrote the law. And Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. And he said, I've come that your joy may be filled. And joy is found in the reversal of our future and our fortune. That we are no longer, because of Jesus, when we give our lives to him, destined to death, we are given life. And that we are not given just like a get out of hell free card or it's, oh, you get eternal life. But we get the fullness of life. This is what Jesus came to restore everything that was stolen away, to take away the effects of the curse, to take away the effects of sin and shame in our life. And as the Jewish people experience joy, God says, I want you to experience joy. I've come that you'd have joy. And joy is found in him alone. And notice the very last verse. It says, many people made themselves, chose to be Jewish people, chose to be Followers of God because they saw God at work. They saw God on their, in their midst. And maybe they were a bit fearful of the Jewish people, but they saw God work and they saw the joy of the people. And we started the study of Esther kind of asking this question, how is it that we live in a culture and a place that doesn't honor God? How do we live in a world that, in fact, maybe sometimes antagonistic against the things of God? And here's what we learn at the end of chapter 8, that the best way to live is with joy and peace. That when we live a very countercultural life, that joy is found in God, that we have real joy, we have everlasting joy, we have the fullness of joy, we have the completeness of joy in us because of Jesus, that that's compelling to other people. In a world that wonders, where can I find peace? Where is there real love? Is there any real happiness? We can say it's not in our circumstances, it's in God. We seek God. And he hears our prayers and he answers. That's why we love him. And so for the rest of this morning, we're going to hear some stories of people who have experienced that reversal of the, of the curse, who've experienced joy in their life as they are baptized. And in the book of Romans, it, it speaks about the fact that baptism is really an external picture of what God has already done for these people on the inside. It's not baptism that saves us or baptism that earns us anything. It's out of just the joy of what God has already done in our life. Paul says that it's a picture really of what happens on the inside, that as we go down into the water of baptism, it's like there's a death to our old way of life, a death to the curse that's been on us. And as we come out, we come to life and peace that we have new life in him. It's a picture of obedience to him. Jesus said one of the things to do is to go and baptize people. And so if you've not been baptized and you've experienced that, we encourage you the next time, consider being baptized and just making that public declaration of what Jesus has done. And as these people share their stories, 
is they share the joy that they have. Maybe it's piqued something in you. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you got lots of questions. We would love to talk with you at the end of the service or speak to you how you can have that same hope and joy and love and grace. Now, at the end of Esther 8 here, it says, the people like had a feast, they had a party. So friends, this is a party. This is a celebration of death to life. That's why we have cake uh, this morning after the service and enjoy and stay for that. And I encourage you when people go down into the waters of baptism, when they come back up, let's cheer and shout and applaud and rejoice and celebrate and have a party at what God has done. I invite you just to listen to Paul's testimony and what God has done in his life and what's brought him to baptism today. Here's his story. 